In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. So today is the Sunday following Ascension. And, uh, and you notice that the hymns and the uh, collect and all this is around the Ascension of Jesus after his resurrection. And yet the readings are not, and that is because I must have made a mistake a couple of years ago, uh, not years, but months ago, uh, when, when uh, writing down and just, uh, just got the wrong readings, the, the Sunday readings rather than the Ascension readings. And I am so glad, because I frankly need John 17, and maybe you find yourself in the same situation. So we're talking about John 17, and I wonder... If you've ever had someone tell you that they're praying for you, but you wonder if they're really praying for you, right? You know, it's sort of a Christian thing. Oh, I'm, y'all keep in my prayers. But you wonder if they're just saying that. Now, you wouldn't do that to someone, but maybe you just thought that perhaps someone has done that to you. Well, I will tell you that when Jesus says he's praying for you, you can rest assured that Jesus is praying for you. And that's what is happening in our gospel passage this morning. John 17, Jesus is, uh, our portion is in a longer prayer that is uh, what the church has come to call the high priestly prayer. This is the night before Jesus goes to the cross the next day. He's already given them the last supper. He has washed their feet. He's taught them about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And right now, now right before Judas comes with the soldiers, Jesus is praying for his 11 faithful disciples. But as our passage picks up in verse 20, the prayer turns a little bit, and he he says, I'm not praying only on behalf of these 11 disciples, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that is, through the teaching and through the writing, the scripture, of the apostles. In other words, he's praying for all believers who come after The apostles. Jesus is praying for you and me. Jesus is praying for us. And what is he praying? Jesus is praying that they all may be one. Jesus is praying for unity among Christian believers. Now, in our culture right now, unity is a kind of buzzword and And at least in my estimation, what unity means in the language of our culture usually amounts to, uh, can't we all just get along? Or let's not talk about important things. And this sort of worldly unity is actually an empty unity. Again, at least as I see it, because as 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 it often plays out, the second that we disagree on any issue of substance... Then we turn and run away. We pretend like the other person doesn't exist. We put ourselves in a bubble. And so in the name of unity, this world, this worldly unity is actually, in the long run, isolating and divisive. But not the unity that Jesus is praying for. Not Christian unity. Jesus is praying for us something that is far deeper and richer than anything that the world has to offer. Jesus is praying for something that fosters 
understanding and actually encourages true compassion and respect despite our differences. This is a unity that can transform our families, our places of business, our church, and even the world around us because it is a unity that is sourced in Jesus' relationship to the Father. Only Jesus Christ has the resources to provide the unity that we were all made for. Now, if you ever find yourself feeling isolated or alone or feeling like you're on the outside looking in, then this is good news for you. So as we look at this portion of the high priestly prayer, we're going to take a look at the description of Christian unity, the purpose of Christian unity, and the means to Christian unity. The description, the purpose, and the means. So first, the description of Christian unity. Jesus prays, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, may they also be in us. And again, he prays that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may be completely one. Jesus is saying that our unity, this unity that he's praying for us, that it is to mirror his unity with the Father. And so then, of course, we have to ask, what is Jesus' unity with the Father? Now, Uh, The Father and the Son are distinct persons of the Holy Trinity. And yet they are, together with the Holy Spirit, uh, one God, three in one. And they have different roles, but they are equal in divine community. Each one loving and lifting the other up all the time. Jesus says things repeatedly like, The Father and I are one. And I can do nothing apart from the Father. And yet Jesus never gives the slightest indication that such unity with the Father, such boundness, is anything but joy. There's no drudgery in doing the Father's will. There's no impulse to go and spread His own independent wings because His wings are most fully spread with the Father. To lose his unity with the Father would be, in fact, to lose his freedom, his nature, and his very identity. And we are made in that image. We're made in God's image. God is inherently united in divine relationship, three in one, and therefore we are made for unified relationships, first with God and then with each other. Jesus is praying that we his believers, his followers, that we would have this unity. If Jesus is praying that for us, then it must not only be possible for us, but it also must be good for us. That we are most who we are made to be in participation with the church. The body of Christ, we are united in fellowship around word and sacrament. I mean, think of your family being united like this, bound to one another, loving uh, one another in relationship, always lifting each other up. It could just bring tears to your eyes. And think of our church 
being united like this, as the Father is in the Son and the Son in the Father, we are bound to one another, we're celebrating one another, we're enjoying one another, we're serving alongside one another, we're most alive, we're most at home, we're most fulfilled in the context of our congregation. So this unity that Jesus is describing is to mirror his unity with the Father. It is the unity for which we were created and it is the unity in which we find our truest self. So that is it. That's the description of what Jesus is praying for. That's the description of Christian unity. But why? Why is he praying that? Well, the second purpose is the The second point is the purpose of Christian unity. Jesus tells us the purpose of this unity that he's praying for uh, is he prays that they may become completely one so that, so here's the purpose, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So this oneness that Jesus is praying for is, is not only for our own flourishing, but it's evangelical. It is observable to a watching world. It is invitational. It's open. It's obvious. It's different. And it's attractive. The purpose of our Christian unity is to declare to a spiritually depleted world that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is sent from the Father, and that we are loved by God the Father to the same degree that God the Father loves God the Son. Now let me say that again, because that is breathtaking. That we are loved by God the Father to the same degree that He loves God the Son. So when my kids were much smaller, much smaller, we would often have little contests. When I was tucking them in at night, and maybe you had something similar to this, we would... We want to see who could love each other the most, right? We would say, I mean, they're way too cool for this now, but we would say, like, uh, you know, I love you. I love you more. No, I love you more. Well, I love you as big as the house. Well, I love you as big as the world. Well, I love you to the moon. I love you to the moon and back. And we would just have go back and forth. And it's so sweet, and I love those memories. But actually, no matter how much we declare our love for one another, and how, not, no matter how true it is, there's always some degree to which we still have to apply it, right? We, I mean, we live together. And there are times when they have to forgive me for losing my temper. And there are times where I have to forgive them for breaking the rules. We have to love each other through hurt feelings and through miscommunication and poor judgment. Because part of human love is a willingness to overlook the past, isn't it? It's a part of human love is to overlook uh, each other's idiosyncrasies and try to forgive and, and maybe try to forget. And that's human love, and it's broken, and it's beautiful. But Jesus says that's not how God the Father loves us. He loves us even as He loves the Son. So how does He love the Son? With an unfair fathomable purity and vibrancy. There is no brokenness to overlook in the Father's love 
for the Son. There is no forgiveness in the Father's love for the Son because the Son had nothing to forgive. He was sinless. And so the Father's love for Jesus is free-flowing, pure joy, pure unity. There's no working around idiosyncrasies. And God loves you like that. He loves you even as He loves the Son. The price has been fully paid for our sins. Our sins were punished on the cross. The sacrifice has been made. Sin has not simply been forgiven and swept under the rug. Sin has been punished once and removed forever. On your bill to the God of the universe, the amount due is zero. Zero. And so if we are bound to Him by such grace, then we are bound to each other by that same grace. In times of personal tragedy, in times of national tragedy, in times of economic uncertainty, in times where we are tempted to deep division, in the best of times, in the worst of times, we are bound to Jesus and to one another by His loving grace. What Jesus is saying in His prayer is that Christian unity proclaims that gospel message. That we are loved by the Father as He loves the Son. We are unified by the gospel and our unity displays the gospel to a watching world. To find our place in the body of Christ is to find our role in telling the story. Our unity declares the gospel. Which means that as Christians, any lack of unity contradicts the gospel message. And there is always temptation to a lack of unity. It's one of the the devil's oldest tricks. Divide and conquer. In our families, in our churches... Divide and conquer. So how do we do it then? How do we over, in the face of such an obstacle, how do we overcome that and, and, and create Christian unity? That's the third point. What is the means to this Christian unity? And it's amazing. It's amazing because what we'd expect is Jesus says, well, first you just got to let bygones be bygones, and then you want to, um, you know, I don't know, not talk about important things, or whatever it is, a list of things to do or not do. It's not what he does. Jesus prays to the Father. The glory that you have given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. The glory that I've given, uh, that you've given me, I've given to them. In order to create the Christian unity that he's praying for among us, Jesus has given us his glory. Now, what does that look like? I'll give you an example. It works for me. Maybe uh, see if it works for you. A couple weeks ago, we had Mother's Day. And what did you do for mom, right? We uh, did flowers. We did brunches, cards. We gave a little trip. Uh, We did a lot of nice things for mom to say thank you. But none of the things that we did for mom compares to what mom has given to us over the years, right? I mean, what has mom done for us? Well, mom has uh, given herself up for us. She's loved us 
uh, when we didn't deserve it at great personal expense, emotional and financial, to say nothing of her calendar. Uh, she has made our life better. She has shared her character with us. She has imparted her wisdom. She has made herself vulnerable. She has loved us unconditionally. She has given herself up for us. And she doesn't mind that everything that we do to say thanks in response to what she has done for us will never match her love and her sacrifice that she has already given, right? And that's just a taste. That's just a glimmer of how Jesus gives us his glory because, because all the things we do for him, they could never match what he's done. He has taken our sin upon himself on the cross and in, in return gave us his righteousness, his glory. Our sin was placed on him as glory was placed on us. Everlasting love that we did not deserve at great personal expense, which is to say his very life. He rose to give us life. He has declared his character upon us by faith and imparted the Holy Spirit to us. And we can do a lot of nice things to say thank you. But none of it, and he doesn't expect that it will, but none of it compares to what he's already done for us. But we can do a lot of nice things, including uh, staying connected to church members when we may otherwise be tempted to division. Including coming to church when we might rather stay at home. Or serving others through a ministry when we might rather just sit in the pews. Or by giving someone a listening ear when we might rather be doing something else. The gospel of His grace is the glory that becomes our unity. Because as He has poured Himself out for us who did not deserve it, so we pour ourselves out for others whether they deserve it or not. And so it becomes a sort of dance of loving and lifting up that mirrors Jesus' unity with the Father. And that dance is an invitation to a hard and graceless but watching world to join us. Join in with us. We are not always of one mind, but we are always of one body, the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And that is what Jesus is praying for you. Amen.